If you are anything like what I experience at our local middle school and you've had kids who play sports, at some point or another, you get assigned to the wonderful duty of serving at the concession stand at the sporting events. And at Lisbon, uh, we have some of the finest food available for these kids that are truly starving to death, at least according to what they tell mom and dad when they're trying to get their dollar or two. We have popcorn, we have candy bars, we have Gatorade, uh, we have even pizza from Pizza Hut, $2 a slice. We have hot dogs, and we have the good standby, good old water. Well, one day, I went into the concession stand. I think I did it five times this year. Uh, and one day, I went into the concession stand, a 10 by 10 kitchen uh, at Lisbon Grade School, and I could not believe what they had for sale. I was so excited what was for sale this particular day because... I absolutely love them. It was, it was a specialty item. And for Lisbon, they were selling it for 75 cents for each one of these. Now, what it, what it is, is it's about a two and a half inch diameter item. It's edible, of course. And inside it, it is just perfection. It's delicious. If a mom or dad would have given their kid two bucks and they walked over and gave me the two dollars, I would have given them three. Three of them for those two dollars. Well, you're probably trying to figure out, what, what am I talking about? Well, <laughs> some of you know what delicious sandwiches are. They're Uncrustables. Okay? An Uncrustable is an absolutely perfect sandwich. I don't know how they do it. They have a perfect amount of jelly and peanut butter in every single bite. You throw these bad boys in the freezer, you pull them out 30 to 60 minutes later, they are perfect, every bite. So I couldn't just sit around and allow these sandwiches to be unsold. So like any good salesman, I grabbed the box and I started walking around like I was a cotton candy salesman at a White Sox game. And I sold all 15 of the Uncrustables. By the way, I did purchase the first one myself, made sure that it was perfect, and it was. And, and as I sold them, one particular person, in fact, uh, Kiara, who's here actually with Molly today, Molly's friend, her grandfather purchased three of them. And he did have a request for a large glass of ice-cold milk. I couldn't achieve that but he did purchase all three. I sold all 15 of those in probably about three minutes. I, I, I single-handedly had the best sales day ever at Lisbon grade school. And you know what? Why? Why did I sell them so much? Because I personally love them. I personally enjoy eating them. And you know what? I, I'm a guy who loves to share. And so I brought sandwiches for everybody here. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm not. We're going we're gonna to feast. If you want a sandwich, grab one, pass it around. Oh, I've got more. You can have one of these sandwiches. And if you haven't enjoyed an Uncrustable, maybe now is not the time, but you're welcome to eat it right now while I'm talking. 
You can pass that around, Alice. <laughs> That's the one thing I, I have in my notes. Sorry, friends, there is no milk available. There you go, Josh. Make sure someone, everyone gets one if they want one. These are little uncrustables, and they are delicious. Has anyone had an Uncrustable, by the way? Okay. At our home, much to my chagrin, we buy bread and peanut butter and jelly all separate. And we use a knife and we spread them. You know, we're, we're under the assumption that somehow these are super, super expensive. And uh, we could do it much cheaper making it ourselves. But as I talked to Maddie, Maddie agreed with me that these, we don't know how Smuckers do it, does it. Uh, what machine? There's never any crunches. It's just perfect. Um, in 1991, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. We'll go backwards in time for a little bit. In 1990, I was up to no good. In fact, I, I was I was a wreck. I, I was doing stuff like crazy, including. In October of 1990, uh, the now famous uh, one-night Newark pumpkin heist, where my brother and myself and ten friends went and stole every single pumpkin in the town of Newark in one evening. I'm not talking about just from people's homes. I'm talking from the gas station to uh, my first grade teacher's kids who had grown them all season in order to sell them on their hay rack, and we sold all of them. We never got caught as we smashed them all into a side road where people would come into town. If we did get caught, we probably would have been handcuffed because it was theft. Besides doing random stuff like that, my mouth was out of control. I swore like a sailor. Now back to 1991. It was July of 1991, getting ready for my junior year in high school. And I was at my friend's house. In fact, it was Sherry's best friend. So my wife's best friend at the time. And they were my neighbors, and, and they took in this crazy kid, Phil, and, and uh, fed me food, let me swim in their swimming pool. And I was in the kitchen eating Tombstone pizza with a bunch of other guys that were there at Janae and Jennifer's house. And Janae walked in from the family and youth Bible camp that she had been at in Lake Geneva. In fact, it's the same family and youth Bible camp that many people here at Village Bible Church attend currently. And she comes in, and she is on fire for Jesus Christ. I don't know if Janae, as going into her sophomore year, if she knew any theology. I don't know if she had any understanding of stuff, but she was passionate about Jesus Christ. And she started telling all of us. The guys were a couple years older than me that were in the kitchen. 
And they all mocked her, laughed, joked, and walked into the living room. But for whatever reason, at that appointed night, which I don't know what the exact date was, but that night, I couldn't stop listening. And I was stuck. Because this was piercing my heart. I had known Jesus just barely of who he was. I didn't have any knowledge. I didn't know what, um, what it meant to be a sinner. But Janae, that night, told me the gospel. And she said, you need to, you need to bow down and ask Jesus to come live in your heart. And he will forgive you. That night, I walked back home. I went in my bedroom. And I did just that. And at that moment, somehow, in some way, God reached down and plucked swearing from my mouth. I don't know how. Nothing else changed in my life. But that moment, I became a new creation. And, and somehow swearing was a thing that was kind of the, the symbol of my new creation. I, I was, my, all my friends were unbelievers. Apparently, Janae wasn't. But all my guy friends, all, all the people that I surrounded myself were, had no idea about the Bible. So I had zero growth. I went to a Bible study on Sundays, but that was purely so I could be around the girls. I know, I know that. So there was real no growth there. I'd hear things here and there and be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't read the Bible, didn't understand it, until a couple years later when I went to college. And that's when I started digging into Scripture. And I started understanding, wow, this is powerful. And my new creation that happened two years prior, all of a sudden, there was starts to be transformation. Sanctification, if you will. The process had started when I dug into the Word. My life had changed. And you know what? The key person in this story wasn't Janae, and it wasn't Phil person was Jesus. Jesus was the one who did all of it. Jesus is the one who orchestrated the timing of it. Jesus was the one who made me into a new creation. And that's the same thing we're going to hear today from Paul as he gives a testimony to King Agrippa. You see, when you're passionate about something, I'm not talking about Uncrustables now. I'm talking about something that is life changing. No, that is eternity changing. When you're passionate about something, it's not a sale anymore. It's not going around selling Uncrustables like cotton candy at the ball game. No, it is everything about you is about that thing. And that thing for me and that thing for many of you is Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate. That's why we say we want to invite one to the church because we want people to hear about Jesus Christ. 
and about his resurrection. We have to be so sold out. That was a youth group that I had in, in Minnesota when I was a youth pastor up there called Sold Out. Because we're sold out for Jesus Christ and for what he stands for. And that's what I became in college when I was sharing it with everybody. That's what Paul is. He's sold out. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The reason he's saying that, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, is because he doesn't care if he dies. That's great. He's going to get all the joy, and he's going to get all the pleasure, and, and he gets everything. But if he can live, man, he, he gets to share the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over. And it's going to be more joy for more people for eternity. That's what Paul's going to go on today. Let's go to the Lord and ask for him to help us to understand his word. Heavenly Father, please, we need your help. Change us even today. Help us to be more sold out for you today than we were when we walked in here, and it's only because of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've got a lot of ground to cover in a very short time uh, because we have a lot of stuff here. here. Here's where we're at in the scripture. Paul has been accused numerous times uh, of being... Uh, 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 blaspheming God because he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the, the Christ, the Anointed One. He is the King that came from David's lineage. And he's telling not only Jews this, but he's telling Gentiles. And the Jewish leaders, many of them there, they can't stand him for that. And they want to kill him. And they're doing everything they can to kill him. And, and eventually, they, they pull him out of the, the situation. The Romans... And Felix, the governor, gets to him, and Felix says, hey, tell me the story. What's going on? And he gives him the gospel. They call it a defense. And Felix like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and I don't want to hear it. I'll call for you if I want to talk to you again. Two years passes. New governor comes in. Festus, you're out of, or, uh, Felix, you're out of here. Festus, come on in here. Festus comes in, and he hears it. Festus is clueless. He has no clue what's going on, and he's like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're saying this. What did you do wrong? Eventually, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Well, now Festus is in a bind because he has to send him to Caesar, to Nero, who's the Caesar at the time. And, and he has no idea what to even tell the emperor why he's sending him because he doesn't know what he did right or wrong. But then a couple days later, here comes King Agrippa. Agrippa II, king was just a, an honorary title. He really had no power. Him and his beautiful bride or sister, both. And he comes in, and, and, and he's like, Festus, like, oh, great, Agrippa. You know everything about the Jewish people. You know what this guy's going to talk about. He's talking about this crazy guy, Jesus. And he's dead, but he's saying somehow he's walking around alive or something. Agrippa's like, oh, I want to hear him. That brings us to today. And in today, we're going to see this huge activity, this, this celebration. I think, the, I think the scripture says pomp. There's, there's going to be uh, um, fantasia, I think that word is. Where, where it's going to be fireworks and horns and excitement and, and all this stuff. When King Agrippa walks in and all the 
fancy people are going to be standing around and they're going to be ready to go and, and they're going to be excited to hear, oh, what does King Agrippa want to say and want to hear? And then they're going to march Paul in. And Paul is probably wearing a, a, a two-year-old tunic. And, and he's probably short and bald and not even speaking and probably walking in chains, maybe on both feet, connected, maybe one arm, maybe two arms, I don't know. And you're going to have this, we have this debate between a king and a nobody that the Jews just wanted to kill, the Jewish leaders. Today I want to talk about seven things. Seven things followers of Christ should be doing, and I, and I pulled this straight off of the scriptures uh, as I read them. And the first one is, is giving answers for their faith. Giving answers for their faith. In Acts 21, we saw Paul... He was beat up by the Jerusalem. Uh, uh, he was beat up in Jerusalem by many people. Pulled out of the, the the temple, and and then Paul quieted the crowd somehow. And he gave his defense. He shared the good news. Acts twenty three. We see Paul doing it again uh, when he's in front of the council. Remember when he got punched in the face? And then Paul shared his faith with Felix, the governor, as I just mentioned. And then a couple years later with Festus. And now, just a few days later, he gets to talk with King Agrippa II. Paul was absolutely ready to give an answer, no matter what time, no matter what location, he was prepared. He didn't go back to his quarters and write out a three-point sermon. Okay, i got to get this alliteration right. No, he was ready to give an answer of why he was acting the way he was acting. Why he believed what he believed. First Peter 3.15. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Paul said in his letter to Timothy, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. You never know when the season comes. And Paul knew this all so well. He understood that it's on the sovereignty of God. Just like Janae came into that kitchen and preached the gospel to a bunch of crazy guys that were enjoying tombstone pizza, that was the appointed time for me to give my life to Jesus Christ. You need to be ready. You need to look for those opportunities of where to share the gospel. And those opportunities are crazy, uh, are, are, can come at a crazy amount of time. I know our friend Kathy, she just got back from prison. Welcome back. We don't get to say that often, Kathy, that, that phrase. And, and she shared in front of a couple hundred guys. You've got to be ready. You don't know when, where, or why, but you have to be ready to share the gospel, to share the good news, to share why you are in love with Jesus Christ, why you're different. Why are you different? And if you're not different, you should be, because you're walking with Jesus Christ. 
Let's get into our scripture. Acts 25, we'll start with 23. We're going to just do little chunks, and then I'm going to stop, and we're going to go into it. Acts 25, 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice, there she is again, came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. This is what I was talking about, big shots. These guys are the big shots, probably wearing purple because they're kings and, and royalty. And everybody, everybody should be standing at, at, at ready for them. I think of the President of the United States walking into Congress, getting ready for a State of the Union, everyone standing and clapping, both sides, everyone shaking hands and kissing babies. And, and then when they're walking out, they're doing autographs and that type of stuff. Except for this time, it's a little bit smaller arena, but I bet there's horns going. And everybody in the area know that, oh, that must be the king. He must be having some meeting. That's special. You know, I have this young man at school that I, that I work with. And every day he talks about money. He thinks money is everything. He said the other day, hey, 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 coach. That's what they call me at school, coach. Hey, coach, if a million dollars, if we knocked that wall down and a million dollars came out, what, what would you do? I said, I mean, he asked these what-ifs all the time. I said, I, I don't know. We would give it to the school because it was already the school. He goes, what are you talking about, man? I'm going to jam it in my backpack, and I'm going to run. I'm going to run. And so finally I, I said, uh, young man, I'll keep his name off. Young man, um, money means nothing. What are you talking about? Money's everything. I said, no. Money actually means nothing. I said, relationships is everything. I said, number one, your relationship with Jesus. He goes, yeah, but, but money's good. I said, you know, it's all going to be gone in the end. And you're going to have nothing to show for it. But when we get to the end, money's going to be nothing. The big house we have is nothing. The car we drive is nothing. All of it's going to burn, right, friends? And, and, and everything is about relationships. And I, 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 we probably get rid of that S and just go relationship. It's Jesus Christ. Great to have relationships with others so we could spread the gospel. But relationship with Jesus Christ is everything. That's what our measure is. Not all this excitement. Not all this pomp. I wonder what King Agrippa would say. 2,000 years later at Shabana, Illinois, in a place that he didn't even know existed, that we'd be talking about how he was the prisoner and how Paul was the free man. Everyone else saw it the other way. It was obvious. The king was the cool one. He was the one who was in charge. He's the one who has the throne. He's the one wearing the purple Paul, he has chains. He only speaks when he is asked to speak. Are you free? Or are you in prison? Right now. Isn't that something that, you, that, that is crucial for you to ask? And I'm not just talking about your, your life with Jesus Christ and your salvation. I'm talking about sin, too. Does sin got you locked down? 
pornography, gambling, drinking, swearing. I'm not looking for you to be a perfect person because by all means, none of us are perfect. But does something have a hold of you so much that you're actually in chains? You need to get freedom from that. And freedom comes through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Definitely something for us to think about. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, here he goes. Good old Festus. He, 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 uh, King Agrippa wanted this meeting. Festus had to be excited because everyone was coming to his little area. And now he wants to do this whole paragraph, making sure that everybody knows that he's, he's the smart one. He's the one in charge. And he's allowing King Agrippa to have this conversation. Here, here's what he says. King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Good old Festus. Maybe exaggerating a little bit there. I don't think all the Jewish people wanted him dead. All the Jewish people didn't petition uh, for him to be uh, put in prison or, or, or killed. Verse 25. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. He had no choice. This was a Roman asking for an appeal to Caesar. Festus didn't decide that. That's an automatic. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Now we move to chapter 26. And, and this is where it seems that almost King Agrippa says, okay, shut it. Stop talking. I want to hear from Paul. That's what I came here for. I've been excited about this. My, my great-grandfather, man, he, he was killing the babies. And, and my, my, my great-uncle, he, he actually executed John the Baptist and, and, and Jesus. And my daddy, he beheaded James. Yeah, he died. Crazy worms. But it's my turn. I'm going to hear about what's going on with this character and about this Jesus guy that we thought we dealt with, my whole family has dealt with over the years. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Interesting. Here's Paul getting ready to make his defense. He's ready to give a testimony in front of Agrippa and in front of everybody else. Luke adds this little detail about he stretched out his hand. Good little detail added there by a first-hand witness of what was happening. You see, Paul believed, as he's getting ready to share this message, he believed in the transforming power of the gospel. He knew what he was about to say could be transforming 
to King Agrippa, to any of the audience that were listening. You see, Paul didn't have to go to King Agrippa. There would have been no law requiring Paul to go there because he appealed to Caesar. And Caesar obviously was the, the top. So he didn't have to go. But why did Paul go? Because he was ready in season and out of season. He was ready to give a defense for Jesus Christ. And he knew, he knew that if he can share his life, his testimony, and what Jesus had done, that there was a chance that this man was going to give his life to Jesus Christ. Or anyone who was listening. In fact, that's our second point today. Our first point, the first thing is, I believe followers of Christ should do, is be ready to give an answer. The second of the seven is humbling themselves so they can exalt the real king. The real king. Luke 14, 11, one of my favorite verses to quote, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We humble ourselves first by confessing our sin before God. That, that, that's first and, and foremost. In fact, that is absolutely crucial for you to become a Christian. You have to acknowledge that you are a sinner. That you are nothing. That you are, are continuously seeking evil ways. My flesh is weak, but my spirit is willing. 1 Peter 3 says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. If you desire to be humble, which I'm saying is absolutely crucial as a follower of Christ, you have to have a patient heart, a mind that, that will create humbleness, knowing that God works on different timetables. Dylan and I were just talking about this, about patience and, and, and understanding of people and, and, and being soft and being able to respond. And it comes through humbleness in Jesus Christ. It comes when you are, 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 are saying, I am not better than the next person. My dad didn't teach me a lot of things about Jesus Christ. And I don't even think he realized he was teaching me about Jesus Christ. But he always said, Bill, don't think that you're better than anybody. That was a great theological statement my dad made. And I don't think he understood he was speaking theology. Because we are not. We are, we are not to think ourselves as higher than somebody else so we can have a way of sharing the gospel. Again, back to Kathy. She was at a, a, a maximum security prison. And she was blessed. It doesn't make sense. But that's the beauty of Jesus Christ. His timetable, his stuff is way different than ours. Humbleness also requires us to submit to authority, doesn't it? To submit to authority. That's hard to do at times, especially when we think we've been wronged. When we're in the right, which oftentimes we think we are, it is hard to humble ourselves. I've been there many, many times where I think that I have the right way of doing it. But I've learned from ignorant mistakes what it looks like if I'm not humble in those situations. And as you get older, hopefully a little wiser, you learn from stuff, you realize, you know what? 
just humble yourself. That's what Paul's doing right here. Paul's right. We can see it. History has taught us that Paul is right. He did nothing wrong. We'll see that actually in this passage today. Paul did nothing wrong. He's not deserving of a prison. He's not deserving of death. And yet he finds himself in chains. He had done nothing wrong. But he humbles himself before the earthly king so he can honor the eternal king. That's what he does. And, and, and he's, he's obviously accepted this lowly place too. That's another way to humble yourself. I remember I was at Fairmont, the school that I'm serving at right now, and I was cleaning up lunches after first graders. I have a master's degree. I've been a superintendent and a principal. And I found myself cleaning lunches at a lunchroom for first graders that were chucking them on the ground. And I stopped and I thought to myself, am I humble enough to do this? And you know, there, there was a point I wasn't. There was a point, I'm just doing this for the money. I just, I have to make money. And friends, that, that ended. Because I stopped thinking about, yeah, I, I needed to do it for the money, but I stopped thinking about that, and I needed to do it for the ministry. It's a different M. And it's so crucial that I serve Jesus Christ uh, I, I was talking to, to Josh the other day about serving Jesus Christ, and I, I talked about our friend Bill back there. When I was serving full-time here, I'd be back in my office studying, and Bill would be cleaning the toilets, and he'd be whistling. And so I'm at the school cleaning, and I'm thinking, huh, why am I doing this? And then oftentimes I think about my good, good friend, Rocky Mitchell, who was my best friend in high school, as he lays in his bed with ALS and he, that he's had for nine years. He can't move except for his eyeballs. And that's how him and I talk all the time on Facebook. I'm visiting him this afternoon, by the way. I'll be praying for that. But he loves Jesus, so amen to that. And I think about him. He would love to clean up these lunches. And then I think, what is my ministry going to be here at this school right now? And many of you don't know, but we are starting the process of foster caring a young man that's at that school. You'll see him soon, I'm sure. Jose is his name, fifth grader. Friends, we are not doing stuff in life for money. We're not doing stuff in life for power, for anything. We're doing it for ministry. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul's doing right here. That is why he's humbling himself in this situation. He's doing it for ministry. So he could share the gospel. We may never get through this. Verse 2. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I'm going to make my defense today against all of the accusations of the Jews. Especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies 
of the Jews. He knew Agrippa was smart. He's going to understand the whole thing. He's, and he's connecting with King Agrippa right off the bat. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? What is Paul talking about here? He's talking about the prophecies that have been made in the Old Testament. That's what we call it. We call it the Old Testament. It was the scriptures for them. He's pointing to them. He says, you know, King Agrippa, and all these Jewish people know that there were over 300 specific prophecies pointing to the coming Messiah. 300 direct ones that pointed to the, to the life, to the death, to the resurrection, that pointed to where he was going to come from, that he was going to come from the line of David. All of it was pointing at Jesus. But they missed it. Today, people who are, are, are in the Jewish religion still think that the Messiah is coming. And they missed it. Jesus has come. That's why we call him Jesus Christ, the anointed one. He is the king. And, and, and that's all that Paul is pointing them to. Hey, you know this. And you believe it. But I'm going to tell you, it was Jesus. Jesus is the one they're pointing to. Jesus is the one who fulfilled all those prophets. John chapter 5, verse 39. Here's what Jesus said. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus pointed it right at him. This, this is our next point, our third point. A follower of Christ needs to be studying the word of God. Paul knew that not only the king Agrippa would know it, but everybody who was there probably had some type of knowledge of the scriptures. Verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This ate Paul up all the time, I'm sure. How he cast the vote as people were being killed. How he probably grabbed people by the throat and said, you don't believe in Jesus, right? Right. I agree. Probably kids, women, and definitely men. This is our next point. He's doing what all Christians should be doing, admitting that they are sinners. Admitting that they are sinners. Essential for your salvation. 
You have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the scripture says. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All includes you. And you. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin, it doesn't just cause us to be at odds with God. Our sin actually kills us. That's what the scripture teaches. When we sin, we have gone at odds with God, and therefore we deserve death. In fact, Ephesians 2, here's what it says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So not just at odds, but dead, walking dead. If you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are walking dead. Dead man walking. That's what we could say. That's why it's so crucial for us to share the gospel. Because we want people to be alive again, to be transformed, to be new creation. And Paul's calling himself a sinner. He's calling himself someone who is at odds with, with God. Which is exactly, he's literally painting the picture of what the Jewish leaders were doing to him. Ironically enough. Verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul knew that his sin wasn't what he was doing against the Christians. That wasn't his sin. His sin was what he was doing against Jesus Christ. That sin, friends, going against God, going against Jesus. Just like the Jewish leaders, Paul hated. Paul, uh, they, they, they hated Paul because he loved Jesus. Just like Paul was hating them because others were, hate, were loving Jesus. The persecution wasn't against Paul. It wasn't against the other Jewish people who knew Jesus. It was against Jesus. Verse 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from the darkness to light and from power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Our fifth point. As Christians, we should be giving credit, giving Christ credit for our life transformation. It's not us. It's not Janae. It's not you when you share the good news. It's Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God the Father. The sovereignty of him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift! Exclamation point. 
What was the gift Paul was referring to? It's the gift of grace, the gift of salvation, the gift of transformation in becoming a new creation. If any, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're a brand new creation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Or how about John 3.16? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's Jesus. It always goes back to Jesus. All of Scripture is pointing to Jesus or celebrating Jesus and talking about when Jesus is going to come back. It's all of Scripture. I've told you this numerous times. Allie has asked me many times, Hey, Dad, what, what, what are you preaching about today? And I, it's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. Because Jesus is everything. Verse 19, Paul continues. Therefore, O King Agrippa... I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and then throughout all Judea, region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul is telling Agrippa and to all that he, this is the next point, that he is serving as Christ's ambassador. That he is the ambassador. We're called to carry this great message to anyone, anywhere. Do you agree with that? Do you agree that that's what we're called to do? At our schools, at our workplace, in our home, wherever we're at, we find ourselves. Paul said to the Corinthians, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We've been entrusted with this message. Verse 20 in Corinthians, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. You've been, you've been approved. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been approved. You got that stamp, maybe it's a ring, and, that, and then he's going to seal it. You've been approved. You're now to go out and serve as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. The good news is not from our world. It's from another kingdom. And that kingdom has given you the green light. Go. Share it with everybody. John 18, 36, Jesus was speaking. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. We're to take this official message 
because we have an official position with a different kingdom than this world. We are to be ambassadors and go and make contact with people and share the message that our king has told us to do. And we can only effectively do this if we're Christians. It's the only way you can effectively share this message. It requires, because you can't do it. Julie can't do it. She can't share with, with, with uh, Muslims that she comes in contact with or, or the people who have zero faith. She can't do it. Tom can't be at Wheaton and touching base with, with random people that he's coming in contact with. Samantha, as she's going to the store, she can't do it on her own. Who does it? The Holy Spirit does it. You have to rely on the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. This is Jesus. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus said, I think it's in John 14, I must go so he could come. Talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to come to give us that actual power because it's not us sharing the message. It's the Holy Spirit. That's what helps us to be the ambassadors that we are. By the way, our last point. Paul could have only had this message if he was living a life of holiness. Living a life of holiness. 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages of the world. God saved us through Jesus Christ so that we may live a holy life. One that's set apart for his pleasures. That's where we get mixed up a lot of times. We feel like in this life, we have to figure out what our pleasures are and then go after them. If that's the case, we're going to be on cruises all day, eating as much food as we can. But that's not, that's not that, that may be your call. Maybe that's your ministry. Lots of people stuck on a boat. You can, you can share the gospel a lot. But we're to serve at his pleasure. We should not be striving to be holy so that the God of the universe will accept us. Because, friends, you can't do it. Isn't that what all the other religions do? They're striving for perfection so they can try to please their God. We can't do that. I'm telling you, you will not please your God. Just like it's very difficult to please your spouse. And your spouse isn't God. And that's hard to do. You love them, you care about them, you show them uh, lots of thoughtfulness and kindness. But you're always disappointing. For God, that bar is way higher. You can't do it. 1 Peter 1.16, quoting from Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. 
Throughout the book of Acts, Paul's seeking guidance from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who fills us. He's the one who fills us with holiness. It's the Holy Spirit who, who helps us to, to look towards God. Because remember, the Holy Spirit's job is always to proclaim Jesus. He's always lifting Jesus up in everything that he's guiding us to do. That, that's what he does. Did you guys know that in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit speaks to people 59 times? Isn't that something? When was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to you? This is, I, I think Dylan and I were having this conversation too. Maybe Maddie was with us. The Holy Spirit, especially in this Western culture, doesn't talk to us. Because we have trouble listening. We have trouble communing with the Holy Spirit. This is what Allie's been learning at YWAM. That's why her spirit's been moved so much, because she has learned to hear the Holy Spirit in her prayers and seeking God through Scripture and digging in. Paul, remember? He was, yeah, I'm going here. Oh, the Holy Spirit told me no. Okay, I'm going here. No, you're not. And he goes into this narrow way. The Holy Spirit will guide us and, and, and teach us and train us, especially in holiness. As I have been seeking God so much in the last several months, I, I, have, I have heard the Holy Spirit so much, just like this young man, Jose. The Holy Spirit told me, hey, you've got to somehow connect with Jose, and it was impossible. But where things seem impossible for man, it's possible for God. The Holy Spirit... Is always promoting Jesus Christ. Holiness comes through the reading of the Bible, the reading of the truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 119 reminds us, We hide God's word in our hearts in order to keep us from sinning. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin sin against you. You notice it's always taking you out of the equation and it's inserting God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, His Word. The purpose of living a holy life is to glorify God so you can display His nature all around you to all the people that you're coming in contact with. That's what Paul's doing to King Agrippa, right? One author put it, living a holy life is a natural outgrowth of being saved by God's grace and filled with his spirit. Let's finish up here. Verse 24. As he was saying these things in his defense, here's Festus again. Festus gets annoyed. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. For the king, hey, he knows, he knows these things, and I speak them boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this is not been done in a corner. He's saying, hey, 
This is, this, everybody knows this. And if you just stop and think, even the king, he knows this. He knows this is all true. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? That's what Paul said to King. Paul didn't care. He just wanted to share the gospel. Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. I know it. It's a question that every good and knowledgeable Jew should hear today. I know you know the truth. You know your scriptures. You had to memorize them in order to, to pass your bar mitzvah. I know you know them. You know what the prophets were saying? It's Jesus Christ who came. Paul knew that the king believed the prophets. He knew all of them. And it, and it struck a nerve with King Agrippa. It definitely struck a nerve. Verse 28. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Listen to Paul what he said. Agrippa's saying, Are you... Are you, trying to, are you trying to make me a Christian, Paul? Is that what you're trying to do? Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. The question is, are you trying to save me? And what is Paul's answer? Yes! I'm trying to save you. And you know what? I'm trying to save him over there. And I'm trying to save him over there. And I, in fact, all of you, give your life to Jesus Christ. Because unlike the Uncrustables, I don't care if you eat them or not. This I care about. I want everyone to know Jesus. Because I want everyone saved. I want everyone around me to love Jesus Christ and to follow him. Because I know what it means for eternity every single person to give their life to Jesus Christ. But you know what? Some people don't want to do that. Some people can't stand certain people. I don't want my uncle who did that stuff to me. I don't want him to be saved. He doesn't deserve it. I don't want those people over there. They don't deserve it. Maybe some people are saying the, uh, those murderers in New Zealand. I don't want them to, to know Jesus Christ. They don't deserve it. Isn't that what Jonah did? Isn't that what Jonah did? He said, I don't want the Assyrians to know, G know, know you, God. I don't want them to love you. I don't. And you're so compassionate. You show so much mercy. I know if I go there and I share the message... They're going to actually give their life to you. And they're going to change. And I don't want that because right now they abuse you. They abuse us. And I don't want it. You know what Paul understands? That he's the worst of sinners. And so he's able to humble himself to a point to know that if God can change me, if he can make me a new creation, he can do it to you. So what was the reaction? Verse 30, then the king rose and the governor and Bernice, there's Bernice, and those who are sitting with them 
And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man has done nothing wrong to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So here's my final question. Who are you? This is for Titus and for Bill and for Joshua and for Alice. This is for each of us. Who are you? Which character in our Bible study do you want to replicate? Are you the Governor Felix from a couple years before in our story? Felix heard the gospel. He was convicted by it. And then he didn't want to hear it anymore. He said, I'll call and talk to you later. Does this describe you? Does this describe who you are? I'm calling you to a life of holiness today. I'm saying today, give your life to Jesus Christ and stop what you're doing. Are you saying, Phil, Pastor Phil, that, that's a super good story. Good message. But I'm not giving up what I do on the computer. I'm not giving up that conversation I'm having with that guy over there. I'm not giving up these things. And you know what? I'll be back maybe next week or maybe in a few weeks. Good message, though. Is that you? Or maybe you're the governor of Festus. Festus listened to the message from Paul, and he was just confused. And he said to Paul, he's talking about some dead guy. I don't know, he's saying he's alive or something. He eventually called Paul crazy. Did you hear that in that conversation today? You are crazy. You're out of your mind. You're too smart. You think you're so smart that you have no idea what's going on. Maybe you're thinking this is completely crazy to hear. Maybe somebody not listening here. Maybe somebody listening online. They think this is absolutely crazy. Pastor Phil, you've lost it. You've lost it. This holiness stuff, this, this living for Jesus stuff, this isn't real. This is fake stuff. You've lost it. Maybe you're going to just go home and live life exactly the same as you were yesterday. And you'll be the exact same in one year from now. Are you good with that? Do you think that this message is crazy? Do you think I'm crazy? Or perhaps you're King Agrippa. The king had some knowledge of the Bible. He understood the message. He understood who Jesus was. He hears a testimony and he abruptly stops and Stop! I don't want to hear anymore! And maybe that's what you've done in, in right now in your seats. Maybe you've stop listening somehow and you're thinking about your, your grocery list because you don't want to listen to it anymore because I've talked about something that is actually bothering you. And what are you going to do when you walk out? What King Agrippa do? Hey. Weather's kind of crazy, huh? King Agrippa, he just starts talking about random stuff. Nothing about the actual message. Wow, he could have... We could have released him if... A, he didn't appeal to Caesar. Huh, that's weird. He wasn't even talking about the message that Paul was giving there. It was about living a life of holiness and giving it to Jesus Christ. Is 
that what you're going to do when you walk out of here? Not talk about this message or, or about Jesus Christ? Or maybe you're like Paul when he was confronted by Jesus. And Paul responded. Remember what his response was? What do you want me to do, Lord? Friends, we do not bargain. We do not negotiate. We do not question. We don't come halfway. The response of the redeemed is one simple thing. Obedience. When God truly touches your heart, your only response should be, Lord, may your will be done and may you use me to do it any way you want. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last.